0: You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, I hope you guys had a fantastic uh, Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Um, My family's uh, kind of, the way that we celebrate the holidays is we're always in town on Christmas Eve. That's, That's what we do. We always have Christmas Eve services, so we make... Christmas, kind of our Knoxville holiday, and my wife lives out of town, so Thanksgiving is kind of like the time that we're with her family. And Thanksgiving is, out of all the holidays, if we were to draft them, I would draft Thanksgiving first. I love it. So I hope you had good food. I hope you had good family time. I hope you got a little bit of football in there maybe. Uh, But mine and my wife, we had a unique Thanksgiving. This was a unique Thanksgiving for us because kind of our Third amigo joined us um, on the road trip out to West Tennessee this year. Our um, our daughter Piper, um, our daughter Piper was with us this year. This is Piper. Um, She's uh, about to be nine months old at the end of this month. Um, And so I know, and I'm going to be honest with you, I apologize to my wife every other week because she put so much effort into like getting Piper here and keeping her rolling. But that kid looks just like me. It's undeniable. And so I apologize to her routinely and say, hey, thank you. But that's my kid. Um, But it was a great Thanksgiving for us. I love Thanksgiving. Um, And I know for many of us in here, these next four to five to six weeks are the best time of the year for you and your family. You block those out on your calendar a year ahead of time because you just love Christmas. You love the holiday season. You love the movies, the music, the gifts, the trees, whatever your family traditions are. You look forward to them so much. Uh, for others of us, we would say that the holidays, Christmas is some of the most difficult time of the year for us. It's just, it's just difficult. But there's another group, even within that group, that I think they would say, Andy, I used to love the holidays. The holidays were my favorite time of the year. But for some reason, Christmas has just changed for me. Uh, maybe you're here and, and you would say that, look, this is my first Christmas. I'll be uh, alone on Christmas and I'm navigating what that's going to look like. Um, Or you would say that because of a tough economy or changes at work, you're stressed and you're anxious about what kind of Christmas can mine and my family has because there's an expectation and I don't want to let them down. And so the holidays this year just feel different. It just feels like there's more pressure to them this year. Or maybe you would say, I can't quite put my finger on it yet, Andy. But for some reason, the holidays feel different. I think for a lot of us, we would describe it this way. We would describe it this way for many of us. This is the merriest time of the year. For some, this is the merriest time of the year. For others, though, Christmas is complex. Christmas is complex. I mean, most of us that would say that Christmas is complex, we wouldn't say that we hate it. We wouldn't want to be a Grinch, but we would just say that it's complex. There's just more to it. And we feel this pressure that we should love it. And so as I think about Scripture of people that knew how to navigate different seasons of life, People that knew how to navigate highs and lows, sweet and sours, the peaks and the valley of life. I keep thinking about King David. There's a man in the Old Testament called King David that I think models for us so well how to navigate what can be a complex time of the year. If you don't know much about David, he's one of the most famous people, Uh, we are talking about the David from the famous story of David versus Goliath. We're talking about the David who wrote uh, a majority of the book that we call Psalms. We're talking about the David that was the greatest king that Israel ever knew. We're talking about the David. This man moved the capital of Israel. I'm going to be honest with you. I struggled to move a meeting from 10 o'clock to 1015, and this man found a way to move an entire capital. This man had all kinds of accomplishments to his credit. Uh, he, He got the temple ready to be built by his son. And then when you look at his family accomplishments, his son Solomon reigned for a long time after him. They even said that his son Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. I'm going to be honest with you. I've only been a parent for a little bit, but if you were to tell me that Piper is going to be the wisest person in the world for just one day on the world, I'm giving myself two thumbs up. I have succeeded as a parent. David had all of these accomplishments that he could look back on. And if that is the only picture that scripture painted for us about David, we would think, man, I bet you the holidays, I bet you the festivals that they celebrated in ancient Israel, I bet you that was the merriest place in the world was him and his house. But what I love, one of the reasons why I think scripture is true is that it just doesn't give you people's highlights, but it also gives you their lowlights. It also gives you the days where they are not bringing their best, and David had those. If you go back to when David was uh, anointed as the king, uh, the prophet Samuel comes to his dad's house. And uh, because God has told Samuel, you're going to find the next king with this, at this guy named Jesse's house, one of his sons. And so Samuel shows up and he says, hey, Jesse, I want to meet all your sons. One of them is going to be our next king. And for some reason, his dad just forgets about him. Uh, I've not been a parent long, like I said, but I've never forgotten my kid yet. But for some reason, Jesse forgets he has this son named David. And he literally goes and gets every one of his sons but David. And so if you think about it, what should be one of the most memorable days out of David's life Is marked, it's kind of got a little scar on it from where his dad forgets him. How many of us could in here could say, hey, I've got a complex relationship with a parent. Or maybe you had fantastic parents, but they couldn't be perfect parents. David could relate with you. King Saul, uh, later on in David's life, King Saul starts hunting David down because he's jealous and doesn't want him to become king. So he hunts him down as a fugitive. And David loses years of his life on the run because King Saul's hunting after him. And if you think about it, how many of us hold on to resentment because someone else's decision is still creating problems for us? David could relate to you. Uh, Later in David's life, he commits adultery with this woman named Bathsheba. And after she becomes pregnant, he orchestrates the murder of her husband on the battlefield. And it's not until the next prophet, Nathan, comes and confronts him that David's like, Oh man, I have made this horrible mistake. I have made this huge sin. How many of us wish we had a time machine to jump back in time and do a decision differently? David could relate to you with that. Uh, One of the most pivotal times in David's uh, children's lives, his, uh, his kids needed him more than ever. His children, Tamar and Absalom and Amnon, if you're familiar with that story, when his kids needed a dad the most, David chose not to be around. He was an absentee parent at one of the most critical moments in his kids' lives. How many of us parents Wish we could get a redo with our families. David could relate to you with that. So if you're here this morning and you would say that the holidays, Christmas, it's complex for me. It's merry, but there are moments where it is complex. Then we are going to look at someone who knew how to navigate those complexities. We're going to look at someone that knew how to navigate that. See, Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart, but he seems really, really normal to me. What set David apart that we can learn from is that he knew how to lean into God's promises. We're going to look at a really famous psalm today. If you're new to Scripture or you're just now getting into the Bible, the psalms are this, is this book in the Bible, and it's a collection of what you and I would call and what we would think of as poems or songs. And David wrote a majority of them, and then they eventually get put together, what we know as the book of Psalms. And we're going to look at one of those psalms in particular. It's called Psalm 23. It's a famous psalm, maybe the most famous. If you've heard it, you've maybe heard it at a funeral or at a memorial service, and it's tremendous for those sort of settings. But it's also in the middle of that short psalm, we are gonna get a look at some big questions that we can ask as we navigate what can be a complex Christmas season. I think the first question that David would ask us out of Psalm 23 is this. He would ask us, are you willing to be led? This Christmas, are you willing to be led? Look at verses 1 and 2. They say this, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. You see, what David said is David said, I have everything I need in my life. Even in the complex times of my life, I have everything I need because of my relationship with God. We understand that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection— that we have everything we need to navigate life. See, David understood that, that he had all that he needed. And he based it on the fact that God brought him to a place of rest and peace. In verse 3, he's going to use the word renewal. And he understood that God led him to this place of peace and rest. You and I can have that same promise today because of Jesus. We can experience that kind of rest and peace in our lives But I'm going to be honest with you, I can't think of two words that are more opposite of how most of my Christmas seasons go. Am I right? I can't think of two more opposite words of restful and peaceful to describe what my Christmas season typically feels like. It feels chaotic. It feels hectic. It feels busy. It feels like I should have done just a little bit more in this area of my life. Or someone was expecting a little bit more out of me in that area of my life. And it just feels busy And chaotic, but David understood what we need to understand so well is that we need Jesus at the center of our lives, that we need Jesus in the middle, even in a complex Christmas season. So, the first question I think David would ask us is Are you willing to be led? This year, with your finances, as you head into Christmas, are you willing to be led? Some of you in here, you might say, Hey, I know that God is leading me to be more generous, but that makes me nervous because that's not typically something I've done before. I would say, Are you willing to be led? For others of you in here today, you would say, I feel like God is leading me to maybe save money during Christmas, but that is a lot of stress and that's a lot of anxiousness because my family, I know that there's expectations and I don't know how to meet them with the situation I'm in, but you feel like God is calling you to be wise in this season. Are you willing to be led by God during the season with your relationships? Maybe there are some of you in here today and you would say that you, there is a loved one or someone that you care about that is not making the best decisions. And for your own good or for your family's own good, you know that you need to create distance, at least for a time between you and that person. But we know with distance comes pain and you're worried about having to do that. For others of you in here, you would say, look, there has been distance, but I think God is leading me to try to build a bridge back in that distance. But that makes you nervous because there's no guarantee how that's gonna work out this Christmas season. And so I would ask, David would ask us out of these first two verses, as he would say, are you willing to be led this Christmas season? Um, It was several years ago, my wife and I, we started looking into ideas like retirement and investing. And and I'm going to be honest with you, um, that kind of freaked me out because I was like, man, I'm like the age, like I'm adult enough now where I've got to worry about things like retirement and investing. And so that was a little bit of a problem for me for a few days. But as we started thinking about that, I read a quote, uh, and it, it just stuck with me so clearly. And I have zero idea whether it's good financial advice or not. I have no idea. I just know that this quote stood out to me, and it was this. The best time to begin investing was yesterday. The second best time to begin investing is today. I cannot think of a more true statement as we get ready to navigate for some of us what can be a complex Christmas season, a better quote to describe when is the best time to begin being led by Jesus. The best time to begin being led was before grief, before regret, before pain got a foothold in your life. But the second best time to be led is today. So this Christmas season, are you willing to be led? Next, I think David would ask us, are you willing to be patient? Are you willing to be patient? Look at verse 3. It says this. In verse 3, he says, he renews my strength. He guides me along right paths bringing honor to his name. I love the language that David uses throughout this psalm. I love the language that he uses through all six verses. He uses this language of a path. And what typically happens for me because of my accent and because of my beard, people think, oh, he must know what he's doing in the outdoors. He must hike and know what it's like to be on a trail and on a path. And I'm going to be honest with you. I love the outdoors. I really do. I I just don't think the outdoors always love me back. I grew up in the suburbs, Um, I grew up, you know, in a neighborhood. So I have a deep love for the outdoors, the love just isn't reciprocated always. Um, And my wife will quickly tell you, I am extremely directionally challenged. Often, it's true, often she has to tell me in Knoxville, my hometown, which way to turn. And so, but I love the outdoors, I love hiking new trails, I love being on new paths. But this is what I've discovered about that hiking and those new trails. It takes me time to make sure that I'm on the right path. It takes time to realize I'm on the right trail. And sometimes those paths cross. Sometimes they merge together. Sometimes they divide. Sometimes they look unmarked. Sometimes they look overgrown. And it just takes me time to make sure that I'm on the right trail. It takes me time to realize that I'm on the right path. But you see, our culture doesn't teach us to slow down and be patient. Our culture, especially during this time of year, tells us to speed up tells us to keep our head down. It tells us to remember that people are depending on us. Don't let people down. Keep going. Keep grinding. Don't give up. And before long, we become miserable at this time of year because we have just went too fast for too long. And I love that Scripture paints a different picture of that. I love that Jesus himself paints a different picture than that. Um, One of the scenes out of Jesus's life, if you look at the Gospels, is the scene where he is teaching, he's doing miracles, his ministry is rolling along, there's a lot of success happening. And he gets word that his cousin, John the Baptist, has just been killed. Um, John was murdered in prison. The governor of the area didn't like what John was teaching. He was teaching God's truth, and the governor of that area has him arrested and eventually beheaded in jail. And this uh, heartbreaking news reaches Jesus. And so Jesus gets wind of what's happened to his cousin, John the Baptist. And if you think about it, that news is really difficult news for Jesus for two reasons. On one level, Jesus has lost a friend. Jesus has lost a cousin. Jesus Jesus has lost a coworker. Um, When Jesus was ready to be baptized to kind of launch out into his public ministry, John the Baptist is the one he wanted to baptize him. There was a closeness and a connection and a brotherhood between these two guys and Jesus gets word he's gone. No goodbyes. No, I wish I would known. He's just lost his friend. So if you're here and you say that the Christmas season brings grief, then know that you have a Savior, that Jesus is well acquainted with grief. So it's difficult for that reason. But if you think about it, it's also difficult for a second reason as he gets this news. It's difficult for Jesus because John's death is a chilling reminder about Jesus' own future. Jesus knows that he still has to go to the cross, that the cross is still in front of him. It's not behind him yet. And that he's gonna to go to the cross to pay for the world's sins. And so when John is killed for teaching God's truth, Jesus is reminded that that is going to be his own future, that the cross is still in front of him, not yet behind him. But I love Jesus's example when he gets this news and it's devastating news for him. His reaction wasn't to speed up, his reaction wasn't to double down on the miracles, to double down on teaching even more. What Jesus did was he slowed down and tried to peel back and tried to get some space and some time. He wanted to get alone to pray and to mourn and to patiently seek the promises of God And no one is going to teach us to do that. We have to learn that from Scripture, that in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our grief, in the middle of our regret, we have to patiently seek after God. But one of the frustrating things about that for me is that I often get frustrated with that because I see God leading you on your right path. And I see how God's answering your prayers. And I see how God is navigating you through whatever complexities you've got going on. And I get frustrated at that, because I think, God, I'm being faithful, I'm probably more faithful than them. Why won't you answer my prayers? Why won't you give me what I'm asking for, God? You know this trial that I'm going through, you know this path, you know I'm trying to find you. Why won't you give me what I'm asking for? And so we get frustrated because your right path and my right path won't look the same. And we could describe it this way, that envy is the enemy of experiencing God's promises. Envy is the enemy of experiencing God's promises. God patiently wants to work out his promises in your life, but envy becomes the enemy of us doing that. But what happens when you and I are patient on God's promises? This is what God does for you and I. This is what he does, is he gives you exactly what you need, exactly in the season you need it. So if your season right now is defined by grief, regret, pain, or disappointment, God will give you what you need as you continually, patiently seek his promises. So envy becomes the enemy of us experiencing that. I love how verse three ends. Verse three ends with this. It says, bringing honor to your name. Verse three ends by saying, bringing honor to your name. And, And the best way for you and I to understand what David is trying to get at is he's saying, God, I understand that with all the regret in my life, with all the pain and the disappointment that I'm navigating in life and have navigated in life, I know that you are going to leverage my pain. I know that you are going to use my pain. And what God does is God takes the pain that we are going through. He leverages the grief that we experience, the disappointment, and he uses it because the city is watching. He's using it because there are people that as we patiently wait on God, we color in the picture in their mind of who God is and what he looks like. And so when you and I are faithful to patiently trust God, even in the middle of pain or disappointment, God uses that to shape others' view of who God is. Because this is the truth. You paid way too high of a price for God to ever waste your pain. Jesus paid too high of a price to ever waste your pain. We could describe it this way. Our pain is always repurposed in the promises of God. Pain is always repurposed into the promises of God. God takes what we experience and he uses it to shape the way that other people see him. And so are you willing to be shaped this Christmas season? Are you willing to be patient in this season? I think the next, next question David would ask is this. Is, are you willing to be shaped? Verse four, verses 4 and 5 say this. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. I love the word imagery that David uses here. David uses this language of as I walk through the darkest valley, and being from East Tennessee, I get this kind of an idea of a valley. I get something like this in my head, and except I would add some maybe deer back here, um, you know, doing their thing, and I would add some birds and butterflies here doing their thing, um, and I'm going to wait on Dollywood to come take a picture of this so they can slap their logo up here to sell it on a postcard. That's what I think of when I think of a valley. That is probably not what David, that's not David's mental picture in his head. He maybe had something that looked more like this in mind, picture a narrow valley in between two steep canyons. For his part of the world, it maybe looked something like that. Can you imagine what it would be like, what it would look like for you to walk through a dark valley wedged in between canyons? You were surrounded by these canyons. It would feel isolated. You would feel alone. It is dark that far at the bottom. Even if the sun's out, it feels dark down there. It feels a little bit colder down there. It's really hard to find the horizon to make sure that you're going the right direction. And I cannot think of a better word picture for David to use than when he says, even when I walk through the darkest valley. How many times when we have to walk through those dark valleys or canyons in life, do we feel alone? Do we feel afraid because we can't see up? And are we worried? Are we even heading in the right direction? See, but David understood that God was shaping him. When David held on to disappointment because of his father forgetting him, he knew God was shaping him. Even when he was on the run from King Saul, he knew God was shaping him. Even when regret defined so much of his story as a parent, he knew God was shaping him. For you and me, we have to remember, the only way through a dark canyon is to keep hiking in the same direction for a long time. Keep following Jesus, If you are in the middle of one of those dark valleys in a canyon, keep hiking the same direction for a while and keep following Jesus. I love how verse 4 ends because verse 4 is going to describe how God shapes us. It says, Your rod and your staff, they protect and they comfort me. And one of my favorite times right now with Piper, and, and I'm in this really small window with Piper where she's not mobile, but she's super playful. A lot of you parents realize that you've got this little like however many months window to experience that. And so one of my favorite things to do is I take Piper and I put her up on the counter with me as I'm getting our lunch ready. And she's, I promise she's safe. She's in like a seat that keeps her from rolling off like a potato. So I promise like I'm not a bad parent, she's, she's good. Um, but I sit her up there with me as I get our lunches and stuff ready. And our kitchen knobs sit in the corner um, of, on the counter, and they're really shiny, the way the light pops up off of them. And she loves them. I mean, she just lunges for them. She just wants to get her hands on them so bad to where I've had to like start, you know, we relocated. We're down the counter now. And I do that, so think about it. That's the last thing I want my kid to get her hands on is our cutlery knobs. But I do that because I am her parent, and it's my job to make sure she's always safe. Because she can't always look out for herself. So that's my job as her parent. And so what David understood that he would want us to understand is that God is shaping you. That God is this parent that is looking after you in all the ways that you cannot look after yourself. That he is protecting and guiding you. And that staff, not only did it protect, but it could nudge the sheep where to go. The shepherd could use that staff and could nudge the sheep which direction to take. And at times he could yank the sheep where it needed to go to keep it safe and to keep it on track. And so what a wonderful picture of how God leads us and shapes us and protects us. I love how he says in verse five, he goes on to say, he says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I'm gonna be honest, I tried to think through it. I don't think I have a lot of enemies in life. If I do, I don't know it. they may get me because I don't think I have many enemies. So in my mind, what I think of is I think, how secure would I have to feel for me and my family to sit down to dinner while hungry lions just circle me. How secure. What an unreal sense of security to be able to sit down to a meal while a hungry animal is circling you. Could you ever imagine doing that? And David says, even though I am walking through everything I'm walking through, I have this unreal confidence that God is with me, that He is working, and that He is shaping me. And so we could say it this way. God may not God won't always remove our enemies or pain, but he will give us security to walk through them. I love how David doesn't say, My enemies just fell into a black hole, or they just evaporated one day, they just disappeared. No, he says, You remove our enemies. Here, he may not remove our enemies in pain, but he will always give us the security to walk through them. And so, are you willing to be led? Are you willing to be patient? And are you willing to be shaped? And I'll be honest with you, this is one of my very favorite pieces of scripture. It's why when, um, when, when Tim and Doug asked me if I wanted to speak, I immediately thought of this because I go back to this Psalm so often, um, because sometimes the holidays are complex, right? And this is just a good complex passage. Um, and if it ended, if it were to end with verse five, I would probably close uh, my Bible and I would think that's really, really helpful. There's a lot of helpful nuggets in that. Um, But for those of us that sometimes have complex Christmases or seasons of life, I don't know that I can find a lot of hope in it. I'd find a lot of help, but I don't know that I would find a lot of hope. And so I love that verse 6 is included, that God led David to write verse 6 to give us this hope in the middle of all the helpfulness. He says this, he says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And this is what I love about it. This applies to everyone in the room. This is what I love about it. David is offering you two different versions of hope. And both are important. And you and I both need both. That first version is, look what he says. He says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. There are some of you all, you are going through a very grief-defining season You are going through a very regret-defining season. You are going through a loss and disappointment and pain, and it's a season. And if East Tennessee has taught us anything, it's that if you don't like the season you're in right now, stick around, and it will change soon enough. And so as you keep taking time and trusting God, it will get better. So in the middle of your grief, in the middle of your regret, In the middle of your pain, hold on to the first part of verse 6. Surely, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. But there's a second group of us in here today. And we would say, Andy, I don't think it's a season I'm walking through. This feels longer than a season. The pain, the regret, the grief I'm experiencing feels like more than a season. It feels defining. It feels like it's going to define my life. And so I love that David offers us hope even in that situation. He says, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. There are some of you in here, you were walking through a diagnosis. You were walking through your first Christmas alone. You were walking through deep regret and grief and pain, and it may take longer than a season. What I love, the hope that we have as Jesus' followers is that because of Jesus' birth? We celebrate that in a few weeks. Because of his birth, his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection, we have hope. David expressed it all the way back in the Old Testament this way He said, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is how you and I could describe it. We could describe it as pain has an expiration date, grief has an expiration date. Regret has an expiration date. And we can live in a hope that the things that hold us back, the things that cause us to hold back from our relationship with God, they have an expiration date. The Bible talks about how there's a day coming when every tear gets wiped away and every pain gets to be laid aside because of what Jesus did. And so if you're going, more, going through the more, of a season, more than a season, God is going to bring you a final hope. There are some of us here today, and we would say that this season is the merriest time of year. That is incredible. That is worth celebrating. I would never want someone to not celebrate the merriest time of the year. And so if you're here and you're like, I love Christmas, it's my time of year, that's incredible. Then I would invite you to stand up and celebrate and raise your voice in celebration of the God who is the giver of every single good gift. But keep your eye open for someone who may be in a different situation. And then for those of us that we would say that our season is a little bit different, our Christmas is gonna feel a little bit different, know that you can bring a broken, regretful, pain-filled heart to a God who will never leave you, to a God who will never abandon you, and to a God who will never stop offering you hope. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the hope that Christmas communicates that in the middle of our grief, that in the middle of our pain, that in the middle of our loss or regret, that you do not leave us. But know that Christmas communicates that you are with us, beside us, that you are working in every situation, that you are working in every trial, and that not only that you were never too good for it, but that you came as a baby to be with us and watch over us, God. And so we thank you for this day and ask you to be with us. It's in your name that we pray, amen.